0: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis, the podcast where pop culture and ABA meet. Okay, so um, I'm super, super excited to be back. I planned on making a return, what was this, months ago, I think when we first set up this um, this recording in this interview, if you will. But I'm super excited to have you on. I have on someone who I fangirl over all the time uh, because she really just puts her values to her work and she um, operates in a lane that many people just don't know about or don't know how to do. So I'll let you take it away and introduce yourself,
1: Miss (laughs) Landa.
0: Thank
1: you. Uh, yeah. Hi. My name is Landa Fox, and uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm ex- super excited to be here to reverse fangirl. We just kind of go back and forth on Instagram, <laughs> liking each other's <laughs> content and stories and stuff. So um, it's it, it's super rad to finally be able to get a chance to to talk. And uh, yeah. Um, oh, geez. Background. Um, I mean, we can take it like all the way back when I was, I mean, I've always been like a bit of like, can I use curses? I, I absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always been like a bit of like a shit disturber mm-hmm. uh, in my, in my life, I guess. And I guess like really, you know, people might've called me a shit disturber, but when I like reflect back on it, I really just feel like, that was just me sort of like standing up for like social justice issues that I thought were important that everybody else yeah. just didn't uh, acknowledge. Anyway, um, mostly centered around like sexuality sort mm-hmm. of things. Like even when I was in the eighth grade, I like led a walkout of friends when a couple of us got in trouble for wearing like crop tops to, that. Uh, to school. That was in like the nineties. Um and, uh, I wore a, a t-shirt that said porn star to high school and gotten like a big argument fight, maybe with like an English <laughs> teacher who said, who was sort of like, you know, is that all you want from your life? Or do you know what kind of message you're sending when you wear a t-shirt that says porn star? And anyway, so I was always just sort of like in this area of like mm-hmm. being comfortable talking about sexuality, being, um, interested in that as, as a topic, um, kind of pushing the boundaries of, of what people were open to kind of discussing, yeah. um, you know, all, obviously like all the way back to like, when I was like quite young, um, and I was always really interested in, in, human sexuality. And, and so that was something that I talked about a lot and learned about a lot. And then I sort of got I don't know, waylaid, it's fine, but like, I, <laughs> I fell into accidentally the world of behavior analysis, um, Through my undergraduate degree, I did a practicum placement or like a co-op work term working um, with autistic kids and like an early intervention program um, and really liked it. And then I sort of just got I kind of forgot about the sexuality stuff that I had been so interested in for a long time. Um, I did my undergrad at a school in Canada that is the only um, Ph.D. level um, human sexuality, um, courses are offered through that university. And I had sort of thought about continuing down that path at that, at that same school, but then got into this autism, ABA world, um, and really liked it, liked that it was like a scientific approach to playing with kids. (laughs) Um, anyway, and so I, I kind of forgot about the sexuality piece for many, many years and sort of fell into that, um, that place where I think a lot of people who are working in ABA that get sort of pigeonholed into this, um, like we just work with autistic people, autistic children mostly, um, and aren't really thinking about sexuality. And I certainly was in that for years and years and years. Um, and then I just sort of had like life events where I was working at a clinic that ended up closing. I was getting divorced kind of simultaneously, like within the span of a week, like those two things. Gosh, Yeah. And so I was like, okay, life's blowing up. Like this is time, like take some time, which I had the privilege to do, which was great. But um, to figure out like what exactly you want to do. And I was like, you know, that sexuality thing, like you've always been into that. Like, why don't you just go back to doing that and do like become a sex educator, not even thinking about like merging the two. And then I was like, wait a minute, like the clients that you're working with, like need this information too. So why would you you know, take a full left turn where you can just take like a slight detour to the right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so then I I've basically spent like the last seven years making that like my the focus of my practice is working in just the combined areas of sexual health, sexuality, sexual expression and rights um, for disabled people, still mostly autistic clients, just because that's where the funding yeah. Kind of lies. I think we're all kind of familiar with that sort of story, but that's that's the full brief <laughs> history of how I <laughs> la-
0: how I landed here. <laughs> I love that. I feel like we all kind of like randomly land on ABA. Um and I just always love hearing people's stories about like their their kind of um navigation into to landing on it. So um if anybody listening was at this year's sex um, I feel like we all heard your presentation. I know for me, I was blown away because one of the things that, um, one of my niches, niches, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's how you pluralize that, but one of the things, um, I'm really passionate about is like really talking about just behavior analysis outside of our everyday jobs. So typically just day-to-day behaviors and, um, I'm obsessed with just doing that because I just think it's so important. I think for students, I think for anybody, especially if we're trying to kind of disseminate the science, we have to be able to talk about it and generalize that outside of you know our, our fields. Um, so if anybody's listening, I know I, I think I've already done an episode on the show P-Valley. Um, and so for anybody who doesn't know what P-Valley is, it's a show about the pank and the pank is a strip club um, in the South, and of course, it's a fictitious show. It's a really good, like it's a show probably now that's like a staple in Black culture. But your presentation at Sex Abba was a really, I think, good example of just thinking about the fact that we all have to learn the appropriate behaviors um, that a strip club tends to be a signal for. And many of us don't learn that. I know for me, my first time going to a strip club, it was my 18th birthday, I'm from Michigan. It was my 18th birthday and I went to a mail strip club and I took my mom and my mom and her, she brought her best friend and I brought a couple of my friends. And it was just so funny because I was like, oh shit, like I have no idea what to do in here. Of course, my mom knew like exactly what to do. So she already <laughs> had like, you know, her tip money. We ordered wings, like, you know, the whole thing. Um, but your presentation reminded me that like our our clients, you know, if if that is something that they want to do, like we're going to have to teach them how to, you know, learn those behaviors really along with anybody else, right? Like whether it's our friends, our clients, whoever. So let's talk a little bit about what your presentation was about, I guess, in, in your explanation. And then let's talk about some of those behaviors that we all need to learn how to do if we want to go into a strip club, I know you also work at a sex toy shop. So if we want to
1: also talk about that too, we can as well. Yeah. 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 Happy to talk about the sex toy uh, area of my, of my work (laughs) anytime, anytime. Um, yeah. So the sex, our presentation, um, kind of came about, um, you know I was just kind of thinking about accessing sexuality spaces and places and, and talking with some some people that I know personally and, and professionally who do work in, in those spaces and, and talking about how to improve access to those places for um like thinking me specifically, obviously for like autistic adults or neurodivergent people that I would support and accessing those spaces and some of the work that I've done to help some clients access those spaces in the past, I don't get to do as much of that as I would like, just because a lot of my clients are minors. Just again, it's like a funding thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I have, you know, had the opportunity to work with some adult clients. So, and then in the course of sort of talking with all, so, um, I also thought that, you know, I, this, my profession is a sex educator and a behavior analyst, but, and I work in the sex toy store. So I do have that sort of experience, but I also like interviewed people that, that work in a variety of, of, do a variety of sex work from like full yeah. service sex work to um, people who are strippers, um, mm-hmm. people that do kind of like pro dom work and and mm-hmm. pro like kink and fetish lessons and, and some of that. Cause I wanted to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of those as, as a professional working in those spaces. So yeah. um, there, I just want to acknowledge that, Like they're not, it's not, wasn't all my thoughts. It was, <laughs> I put the, I put the thoughts together of a lot of other folks um, that I interviewed for this.
0: Well, I'm sorry workshop. to interrupt you, but even that, I think a lot of people, we, we are almost taught to kind of talk on behalf of people and things that we know nothing about, or we only know about it from this like professional lens. So even that, I think like, kudos to you for even taking that like humble practitioner, um, kind of, you know, way of doing it. Cause it's true. Like we don't know everything unless we're, we're in it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I love that. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, and yeah, when, when I was talking with all those folks that, you know, that I, that I interviewed, um, a common theme that kind of came up was just like, everybody could be better at this stuff, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody's going into these situations blind, like disability, not like it didn't matter. Like people were sort of saying like, yeah, like this, this could be helpful or it's important to think about this but then, you know, pretty much everybody followed that up with like, but everybody like needs to know that. Right. So yeah, like, yeah. you can't take, you know, like going to a strip club and sitting front row and not tipping and tipping yep. well is like, is not okay. But like tons of people do that. They yeah. just go, they sit front row, they take in the show that somebody's art and mm-hmm. they think, cause they pay to cover that that means that like, they're, they're good. And it's like, yeah. no, that they're not good. Like, a lot of clubs, like dancers have to pay to, mm-hmm. to strip at the clubs. And so, so your cover charge isn't like paying the DJs those get people. A pay
0: out. The bartenders sometimes get a payout. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think there was lots of things that, you know, just kind of brought to mind to me that, yeah, we don't think about like there aren't a there isn't a task analysis <laughs> out there for like this is how you set up a a date with a or like a, a session with a sex worker. There is yeah. no um, you know, list of like if I'm gonna go into a sex toy store, like here are the things that I do and don't do. Yeah. Um, I would say like sometimes like BDSM practitioners are gonna have like a better, like they are better at that just because it is a little bit more, you know, sort of strict and kind of like laying out, or there's a bit more of an expectation that that would be part of it. Um, But for the most part, people don't know. And so I wanted to sort of explore like what parts of behavior analysis are applicable to all of these settings. And I was coming at it from like, how can we support a client that might say like, you know, they're, they're 21 or 35 Mm -hmm. or whatever, and say like, I want to go to a strip club um, you know, that's something that we should support them with. Um, yeah. you know, I think we could get into the weeds of like, how are we going to convince like an insurance company or yep. <laughs> a payer or or however people <laughs> are paying for services that that's <laughs> a valid goal. Um, but yeah, so that, that was sort of like the, the motivation behind the presentation.
0: I love that. Okay. So, um, What would you say from a, so let's talk about this maybe from the lens of our listeners. So what do you think would be one of the first kind of steps? So someone has like the MO to go to a strip club. What do you think would be one of the first steps or one of the first behaviors that someone should probably consider engaging in prior to actually stepping foot in the door? Or do you Mm -hmm. feel like all the behaviors should start once they're actually in that environment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's some things that, you know, it's pretty like, you know, if we're sort of thinking about an example that somebody might've had experience with, if they've primarily worked with autistic kids, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd say like, oh, we'll prep them for like a haircut routine or Mm -hmm. a dentist, you know, going to the dentist or something like that. And Mm -hmm. so we can set up, you know, fake versions of that or we can talk mm-hmm. about it or we can like you know make a script or review some pictures and like those sorts of things but there's really you know it's pretty hard to recreate what it's actually going to be like to be like in a salon or in a yeah. dentist office yeah. right so there's There's only so much that we can do. And so I think you can just sort of like extend that same thinking to -hmm. something like a strip club where we can kind of do some preparation before, Mm -hmm. but it can be pretty hard to like recreate what that's going to be like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much that goes on in the strip club between like the music, the loud music, the different kinds of music, the lights, like depending on where you are, like whether or not like they allow for example, like smoking inside or just all, just all the different things. So that's true. It's, it, that's hard to kind of prep somebody for, yeah. but I do think that there's like considerations, like you were saying that, you know, everyone needs to, needs to take. And that is true too. Cause like, how do you explain that to an insurance company? Like this is an appropriate goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, that's tricky.
1: Yeah. And, you know, full disclosure that like in Canada, we where like, I practice, we don't have those same like requirements. Um, So often when adults have services in Canada, they get what's, you know, this is like a generalization, but it's called like community living funding, or they get funding Mm -hmm. to sort of like that they can use to purchase services and it's pretty flexible. So um I uh, sort of have that as like a benefit. Um and I have had some clients too where like family members have paid for like sex education for their adult clients and talking yeah. about like how building skills of like, how do I go to a bar safely to like, if I, if the goal is to pick somebody up, yeah. um, you know, if I want to go to, go to a strip club, the last strip club in the town where I live um, closed a number of years ago, which is like a full bummer. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta travel now to, to <laughs> do that. And so I also don't have as many clients where that's a goal that they want to set up. Cause then it also involves like, you got to travel to like another city, which is a whole other thing. But one of the, the, the skills that I think is important for people to, to, to think about is even just like understanding like those expectations and like budgeting. So like, Uh if you're going to go to a club and you want to, you know, stay for a couple of hours is like your plan. And you do want to like have that experience where you're like sitting in the front row. So you're getting like close to the dancers. Um, you know, thinking about like, how much is that going to cost? Right. Yeah. So if you're again in, in Canada, like we, it's like the can con on your podcast which the Canadian <laughs> content here, but Love um, it's like, we don't have dollar bills. Right. So like it, you, you, you have to basically pick, like, if you're going to tip a dancer, it's going to definitely be like at least $5, which I think is like more than fair and should probably be actually more than that (laughs) but we don't have that like dollar bill yeah um, thing that you see and like people see like strip clubs and movies and stuff they'd think like oh just a dollar bill for a dance which is like not enough yeah yeah
0: (laughs) yeah I feel like that should just be like a straight up rule anything even within the the region of the dollar should just be illegal like that's (laughs) like that's just not right
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So like, I think that like those, that money and like those kinds of things and like, are you going to buy food? Are you going to buy drinks? How Mm -hmm. will you get there? Like some of that stuff is just like task analysis, planning, like teaching budgeting skills. And so if somebody has never had control over their own money and other people make a bunch of decisions for them, and they've said that they want to go to a strip club, you know, can they manage their money um, Mm -hmm. appropriately? But also on the other hand, I think somebody brought this up um, in the comments or in the questions when I was giving this talk at sex ABBA saying like, well, what if a client wants to go and spend, I don't forget any 200, $400 or whatever at the, at the, at a strip club, like then, like then what? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like what's the problem. Yeah.
0: If they have it to spend, like, why not? Yeah.
1: I yeah. think
0: those are the kind of, the kind of questions that, are good in, in that kind of, in, in a sense to ask, right. Because it's a genuine curiosity and I'm sure sh- it really probably comes from that place of like that innocent curiosity. But then also like, if you kind of think about it, like think about it in more depth, like I would never question you if you want to spend $400 at a strip club, like, cause we're mm-hmm. peers, you know what I mean? Like I, I would never, especially because we know that like, bar culture is, is so heavily a part of our daily lives, which is a whole different conversation on why that's <laughs> problematic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's something about like our clients and it's something about like how we're just kind of, you know, how we're just taught to really uphold just disability suppression. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's deep. It's very yeah. deep. Ableism yeah, and for sure. thanks.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just, and I say, you know, I always talk to people and sort of say the, I think the first thing as a practitioner is to really do some sort of like self-reflection around your like, in like ableism that you mm-hmm. are coming into, you know, that your work as a, as a practitioner, there's like I don't know if you've ever like taken one or people listening might've heard of them. There's something called a SAR, a sexuality Mm -hmm. attitudes reassessment. So like most people who work in in the field of sexual health have done at least one, if not multiple of those. And it's sort of like an event where you sort of confront some of the biases that you might have about sexuality, whether that's like, you know, cis normativity or heteronormativity Mm. all the way to, or like, um, you know, explore or understanding for people's accounts of being kinky or poly or Mm. there's some more like advanced SARS where they talk about um talk to people who like say that they are attracted to minors or would Mm. have like um some level of pedophilia or hebophilia and and so I think like something like that ooh ideas brewing now, to say. live, I live I off the floor <laughs> of like a, something like that for yeah. behavior analysts, right? That's like a deep dive into like, recognize when you have those biases. And yeah. I always say to people that like, I'm not coming and sort of saying like, Oh, look at me. I'm a model of like doing this perfectly. I've never made this mistake. I would never have those thoughts. Cause like, they still creep in like mm-hmm. all the time for me. Um, just because of the society that we live in, we're all sort of think like, oh, but that client doesn't need to know about that. And I've got to yeah. catch myself and be like, no, like, why are you thinking that? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we something like that for behavior analysts would be super That's valuable necessary. to just actively kind of confront those biases because I don't think that we're really taught how to do that.
0: No, I definitely agree. So one of the things, um, as you probably know, like any of my work really centers just this intersectional approach to all things. And one of the things that was really interesting, I can't remember what the point was that you made um, in your sex ABBA presentation, but it instantly made me think about even the differences between like black strip club culture and white strip club culture. Um, and the, even just kind of like the media depiction of both. So like, typically mm. if you're looking at like black strip clubs and the media and things like that, it has this kind of um, this like hyper sexual, like raunchy isn't the most appropriate word, but for lack of better word, like raunchiness kind of to it. And in white strip club culture, we're talking like magic Mike, or we're talking like, Mm. um, you know, like the white girls who are just like, just randomly like hop on the pole. And it's like, this like alluring kind of thing. And one of the things I love about your work is that like, you take account of that in how you talk about it right like you talk about your clients you talk about their sexual health you talk about their sexual behaviors and their access to these venues in such a like person centered client specific way that a lot of times um non like I don't know like people people just don't, people just don't talk about it in this way, or they kind of overgeneralize again and forget that like there's certain cultural kind of pieces to it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. even like a gay strip club versus like a a straight strip club, there's just all these kind of nuances to each of these things and really kind of being aware of that before you get to that point of trying to prepare your client, you Mm -hmm. know, for that. It's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that like another thing that I wanted to do with this presentation, which is you know, the I'm just kind of thinking of when you, when you said that is, um, you know, I I kind of tie in the ethical code to like lots of stuff, but one thing that I think behavior analysts have made the mistake of. Um, is that what we've put ourselves on like a pedestal that like, we are good at everything and could do everything. So like, that's where this problem started, I think. But then when we sort of look at the ethics code of saying like, you know, get consultation or like talk to somebody who has expertise in in this area, basically, I feel like the mistake that lots of behavior analysts make is looking for another behavior analyst that has that expertise. (laughs) And it's like, yes, you know there's just not like in the sexuality space there's like not a ton of us right like mm-hmm. it's like kind of count on one or two hands the people that yeah. are kind of like doing the work and providing consultation there's some people that are doing the work but don't have the the consultative practice yeah. but it's like if you have a client who's like uh like a queer black woman mm-hmm. you, like and you they want to go to a a strip club, like that's like for their community that like, I'm not like, (laughs) I am not an expert like, like I'm going to need to find somebody who is an expert in that community or works in one of those places. That yeah. that's that that's the expert, right? Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. in
1: those spaces. And so I think just broadening our definition of who an expert is, mm-hmm. thinking about people like people don't have to have a PhD or a master's or a BCBA or a whatever to be an expert. Like all yeah. of the people that I interviewed for this piece, like they are experts, yep. it, right? And so those are the, those are the experts that you need to contact. And so I think we need to broaden our operational definition of expert yeah. um, pretty, pretty severely.
0: Yeah. I mean, it goes back to centering like lived experience over, you know, in these kind of contexts over like this academic kind of way of thinking about defining who the expert is.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's so
0: important. One of the things that I was wondering in your work is we know that ableism is a thing. We know that just like all the other isms, most of us are inherently ableist amongst, you know, the other isms. So when you are preparing your client um, to go in any of these spaces, do you also take it upon yourself? Like, is it appropriate to take it upon yourself to go to the places and kind of give, I wouldn't say give a warning because I don't think that that's appropriate but even just like kind of seeing and screening like is this place even at a face value going to be accepting of my client Mm. whoever that that person may be
1: yeah, for sure. I think that that is important to do. And I, and I, again, I think that's going to be pretty like individualized based on like a, a given client or a given, you know, geographic location. Like all of that's going to vary. But I do think that like going, if you're going to take a client to a sex toy store, for example, like going yourself and not necessarily saying to the people there, like, we're going to come in on Tuesday at three. Like, is that yeah. okay? Um, you know, I think there's some places where you could do that and that might be needed, but even just going in yourself uh, too, just to make sure that it's feeling like accessible, mm-hmm. you know, is there, is there stuff that you want to like warn your client about around? Like they tend to play loud music, like the staff yeah. are, are there are very like, you know, come up and want to like walk through with you to help you. So you sort of have an I- idea yeah. um, and same would go for like a strip club and and those sorts of things. There's some spaces where I think it would be like, Um, you know, obviously, you know, somebody that's providing like full service sex work or working Mm -hmm. like with like a BDSM professional, like those spaces may be like less um, appropriate for you to like Um, pre-screen. And certainly some places are more like, well, you could go with a client. I think like a sex toy store or a strip club would be places Mm -hmm. where I would say like maybe, um, but any of the other ones, it's going to be like, you know, unethical and like inappropriate Mm -hmm. for you to, you know, like accompany a client to, to those places, but having those conversations with people before, certainly I think are, are really, are really important.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we talked about like budgeting. So obviously we're thinking just specifically with the strip club, we're thinking about like cover charges, we're thinking about dances, things like that. So knowing that each strip club, or maybe even each dancer within the strip club, may have different fees per dance. How do you like support your client in figuring out their budget for dances?
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's sort of like you know a a a rough math kind of thing of like you know how long do you think that you'll plan to stay um, if you're sitting in the front row, and then teaching them those sort of skills that like if you want to stay for longer, but you feel like you've spent as much money as you want, then that means that like, that's the signal where you need to then move to like a different table. Right. So move Mm -hmm. to a table at the back, um, those sorts of things. So making sure that they sort of know, like you, what are the expectations around, um, you know, how long you should stay kind of sitting front row. Um, and and I think like, it is like an expensive endeavor. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's also like most people, if they say they want to go to a strip club, it's probably because they've seen it in a movie or something like that. Right. So yeah. I always say like, don't use strip clubs in movies or TV shows as like a video model of like what's mm-hmm. expected. Cause it doesn't really like often look or, or feel like that. Yeah. Um, and the expectations for different places are going to be different too. Right. And, and depending on where you are, some places are like allowed to do like full nudity. Some places mm-hmm. are like, you know, they have to keep on bottoms, but they can be topless. Yeah. Some places it's like you, they can be topless, but they'll have pasties on. And yeah. so if you, like, I think as like a practitioner, if you're trying to help somebody understand like kind of what the rules are, what the social expectations are, Um, A, it would be helpful if you would felt comfortable going and doing it yourself, but warning them and letting them know that like if a dancer has to keep bottoms on and then you are trying to pay them more money and saying something like, take it all off, but like that's actually like illegal for them to do. They're not gonna do it. Now you're starting to border on like, kind of like harassing the the dancer. Mm -hmm. So you need to sort of know what (laughs) to teach in order for your client to be successful, right? Because if they have just seen models on, um, you know, TV or movies, they might have like a really unrealistic expectation of like what that experience is going to be like. Some places you're allowed to touch dancers, some places you're not more and more. It's that you're not allowed some dancers aren't allowed to touch clients even if they would like would want to and Mm -hmm. some places they can if it's like but it's up to the dancer's discretion so like how do you know what those what those rules are right so um and usually like if people have have learned that I'd say like that's an opportunity to like generalize like a previously learned rule so like it's never okay to touch somebody unless they say it's okay Mm -hmm. you know you could ask you know you know everybody's going to be different but for most places if somebody asked like can i touch you and then the dancer said no and they respected that that would probably be fine yeah um but um like kind of a, yeah, like always ask before. Cause like, you're going to contact punishment pretty quickly. If you do something against the rules of the club, like you're going to get <laughs> kicked out. <tossed. laughs> yeah. As you
0: should, that should just be the rule for like all of us. Everything. I love strip clip bouncers. Cause they, they're just so protective as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think consent is one of those things that we don't talk enough about. I know that, um, there was just a conference on ascent, and it's just it's mm. it's one of those things where it's like it's almost strange to think that we have to talk about these things so heavily, uh, but it's so important that we do because again this generalizes like just throughout life, not just within our sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same is true in sex toy shops, right? Like there's certain um, toys or there's certain just devices or certain things, even like down to like batteries that may be in like a locked cabinet versus like out, you know, on the Mm -hmm. shelf. And there just may be certain areas that you may be able to go to with or without permission and kind of teaching those things. I do think that The sex world is still such a taboo thing in most of our everyday lives. And I imagine that the thought of having to teach some of this stuff to our client sometimes is less about our client and more about like our socialization Mm -hmm. and our learning history. I know anytime I have clients who are of any age where they're engaging in like masturbatory behaviors and things like that, the amount of staff that I've had, or even parents or, you know, administrators that absolutely cringe as though like them engaging in masturbation, isn't like, you know, a normal Mm -hmm. thing for them. Um, They just, I don't know. It's something about like children, I think in, then sexuality, but again, I think, especially within the disability community, this way that we kind of infantize our clients, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, it's so important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, when I introduced the, this idea of the, of this presentation that I, I sort of said at the beginning that like stole this line from Dan Savage, but like, this is kind of like varsity level stuff, right? This yes. isn't like, if you're thinking about like, Oh, I'm interested in the sexuality, ABA intersections of this space. Like I would not suggest having like teaching a client to go to a strip club being like yeah. your first attempt <laughs> or like going to a sex toy store. If those aren't places or spaces that like you're comfortable with, right. Like, yeah. you know, it is um, yeah. Like it's definitely not a place. to start because even some of those easier places to start, right? Like teaching body part names or like teaching masturbation skills, like those, even those are like, you know, still- you know, whatever, whatever's below varsity, but not quite elementary. Right? <laughs> um, it's just like, you know, the, there is a lot, there are lots of barriers, including like our own lack of knowledge as practitioners, because we, I like, didn't get sex ed or yes. it wasn't comprehensive or we don't yes. know the answers. Um, so it is like a, it's like pretty like niche and, and specialized in that way. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think that's where looking at like, who are the experts in these spaces and places and doing some consultation with those folks. Cause it's like, you, yeah. you know, you could pair up with, with somebody who works in a, in a sex toy store. That's like kind of pretty open, particularly if you have like a more progressive, mm-hmm. like use the term like feminist sort of sex toy store, yeah. um, you know, whatever feminism in that context means, but, um, that those people could be like a good partner to like learn some of this stuff from. I mean, when I started working at the sex toy store, it was basically like as professional development. Cause I mm-hmm. was sort of thinking like, well, if I can have conversations with like, you know, anybody that walks through the door about yeah. sex or whatever, um, well, these random people that'll just make me more comfortable doing it with clients that I know well, yeah. or, or whatever. So I'm not, I'm not saying everybody has to run out and get a job at a sex toy store, but <laughs> Exploring those spaces, like mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, watching documentaries, watching YouTube videos of, like, sex toy reviews, anything like that that can just, like, increase your comfort yeah, um, with yeah. the topic is a good idea.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so speaking of you working in a sex toy store, I know, I think it was, was it last year, Sex alpha where you were talking about like preference assessments Yeah. Um, and even that, where I was like, you should, I, I always tell my spouse, I'm always like, I'm so sick of like seeing these presentations, like oohing and I, because it's like stuff that I talk about all the time, but I just don't present on because I'm, <laughs> I don't know. And imp- I don't know if it's necessarily imposter syndrome or what, but um, let's talk about that a little bit, too. So mm-hmm. even just and, and for anybody listening, just preference assessments, we do these or should be doing these all the time with all the things. And so whether it's like a sex toy or a strip club or um, maybe a dance or even like a song or a drink or whatever it is that you get at a strip club, all these things like we really should be kind of operationally thinking about um, whether it's for ourselves or for our clients, so let's talk a little bit about preference assessments um, and how you use them with your clients when it comes to being in a sex toy shop.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that presentation. Um, just sort of, you know, like you were saying, the talking about making some of this work that we do of like figuring out like where can ABA be applied out like elsewhere. Um, you know, that presentation was sort of meant to be like fully outside of the scope of like autism, like just not even talking about disability at all, but just talking about the fact that like, I work in a sex toy store and I realized, you know, and I think maybe people are doing preference assessments even without having an ABA background in their yeah. own kind of way. Yeah. Um, And I was just sort of like had a realization of like, Hey, like, I think I'm using, I think I'm using my, I think I'm ABA-ing this. (laughs) Like, cause you just can't stop yourself after a while. Right. Of just like, you're kind of constantly analyzing things, but yeah. So I, I, you know, sort of walked through like in, in that, um, presentation that it, you know, I was doing stuff like even just like naturalistic like observation. So if somebody would come into the store and I would, you know, ask if they needed help or not and they would say like, oh no, like I'm I'm okay. I'm just gonna look around that I would sort of be like not clocking with a timer. Like it certainly mm. isn't like this isn't getting published in Jabba because I'm not like, <laughs> I'm measuring it like really closely. But you know, I could, you know, people do a little loop around the store that I work at is sort of set up with like there's like the desk in the middle where where the staff are kind of you know centered in the cash is there and then it's kind of a circle around there and so i would sort of monitor like how long people were spending at the various walls cuz they're kind mm-hmm. of categorized right so it's like kink and bdsm sort of stuff and then you know butt stuff and then mm-hmm. vibrators and then penis masturbation toys and then dildos and harnesses and that, that sort of thing. And so I'd sort of like watch somebody do a loop. And if I noticed that they like hung around the like butt plug wall, like Mm -hmm. a little longer then I could sort of like make an assumption that like, okay, they allocated more time like with that. And so then I could sort of take that and be like, assume that that's maybe what they were maybe more interested in. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then doing stuff even like, uh, like multiple stimulus preference assessments where then we would sort of have like, okay, like what are the butt plugs that you're like looking at? And Mm -hmm. then, you know, oh, you want something that's vibrating? Cool. So like we would pick three or four kind of like have like samples of them or take them out of the package and like let the person touch and interact with them a bit, kind of describe what they were like. And then just kind of have them like laying on the counter and sort of being like, okay, well, like of those four, like which one do you think that you'd pick? now. And they'd say like that one, I was like, okay, if like that one's out of stock, like what would you pick next? And it was basically like doing that kind of assessment. Um, or like paired stimulus, like I'd have like two different vibrators and be like, hold this one, hold this one. Okay. Of those two, which one do you think great? And then I'd pair that the one that they chose with like something else Yeah. and, you know, kind of work through and sort of be like, yeah, it seems like you're kind of coming back to this one. Or they'd just pick up the, you know, the purple vibrator that's like, has like a lovely, like soft silicone coating and people were really into it and they kept like coming back to it. And I would just be like, yeah, it seems like you're, you know, you're really drawn to this one for whatever reason. Right. And,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, you picked that one, you know, I put that one with three other options and you pick that one every single time. So like, I think that's probably the one for you. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love it.
0: I think that it's always so funny to hear us all like nerd out in these like <laughs> random ways, yeah. but it really is true. Right. Where it's like, sometimes you have to kind of shop around and then being in that customer service role, also just helping people to almost to kind of make their own decisions, but based off your inferences, from your observations, love that, love that, love that, love that.
1: I mean, there's always a risk that you're not going to get you know somebody's not going to contact that like terminal reinforcer cuz like what yeah. if it doesn't what if they're like actually, what if it doesn't no. work for them and like you can't that yeah and you can't try it out right in the same way that you can try out other things right like if you're <laughs> yes. do, thinking about like a preference assessment that somebody might have done with like oh I'll let you know they can try out each of the toys and then pick the one that yeah. they like like you can't like <laughs> you in can't terms do- of like children's toys yeah. like you can't do that with sex I toys I actually right? did that
0: one time I didn't not try it out but I did that one time where you know how like with, some toys how like it'll have like a little like circle so you can like feel the material mm. of it I don't really know what I thought I was feeling but by the time I got it home like it was not it and I just was so pissed because I'm like I just spent all this money on it I thought this was like perfect and it wasn't
1: and it wasn't yeah <laughs> and there's
0: no return policies you all you can <laughs> for right. very obvious reasons you
1: yeah yeah you'd be <laughs> surprised or maybe not surprised at the number of people that try to like bring things back because it just really didn't work for them. Like if it's something like mechanically wrong or whatever, yeah. right? Like it doesn't charge or it d- like won't turn on or something like that. Like, you know, but that that's like, we send that back to the manufacturer saying that it's defective and that we can set, sell somebody another one and we get compensated yeah. or whatever. But yeah, just cause it didn't like work for you, no returns, <laughs> but people have definitely <laughs> brought back some toys that are like clearly used. It can get real sketchy.
0: Eek. I imagine people being so pissed off when you have to be the one that's like, no, like I can't, I can't take this back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I was like, you wouldn't want to buy something that was used, would you? So no.
0: <laughs> okay. So I want you to tell us um where people can find you, where we can find your work. I know you have, I think you have an Instagram page for your work as well, right? I can like link it in the
1: in the yeah. show notes
0: too but tell us tell us you know what you're doing and where we can find you.
1: Yeah for sure. Uh so my Instagram um is um uh, well people can people can request to follow like my personal page which is just at Fox. I usually like approve most Pe- most people on there um that's like kind of like more personal stuff but um my work page is at positive connections so that's my uh like company name which now I wish I had chosen something much shorter but anyway <laughs> whatever here <laughs> we are um so yeah my Instagram is at positive connections um my website is positiveconnections.ca where people can find me there. Um, I also have a podcast called sex ed book review that folks can find. And that's at sex ed book review on Instagram as well. We talk about various sex ed books and talk about if they're inclusive, etc. And most of the workshops that we talked about today are also available to purchase, um, through study notes, ABA's CEU program. Um, the most of the ones that we talked about, the one that I did at sex ABBA will also be available with them soon ish. Um, they're just kind of in the process of process process of processing it. (laughs) Um, so if folks kind of want to see like that whole, my whole spiel about all of the different kinds of sexuality spaces and places that would be the best place to go find that one.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And are you are you a supervisor with the um CBS? Uh, yeah,
1: program? yeah. So the study notes like empowered sort of collaboration for the certified behavioral sexologist. Lots of the presentations that i had done for for um study notes ABA before. So like the preference assessment one, I've got one on there about like a right to um, accessing sex toys, like a right to pleasure all of those. And those have kind of been like integrated into the certified behavioral sexology program, CBS program. And then, yeah, I'm also doing some supervision work for people that are working through that program. So folks can kind of find and connect with me through that program or or through positive connections.
0: Nice. Love, love, love. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I am sure this will not be the last time we chat and collaborate on all the things. We've already talked about getting tattoos whenever we meet each other in person. (laughs) We're always talking and laughing at each other's posts. So yeah, I'm happy that we finally connected.
1: Same. Thank you.
0: No problem. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. I will see you guys. I won't say next week because that I just, you know, I'll see you when I see y'all. All (laughs) All right, y'all, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me on Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis, the podcast where pop culture and ABA meet. Bye.